Okay, y'all, open your Bibles to Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. We're going to look at Song of Songs 5, 2 through 6, 3. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, Nancy and I, we honeymooned in Destin, Florida. If you haven't been to Destin, it's incredible. Uh, white beaches, Emerald Coast. Um, when we honeymooned there for two weeks, we were just coming off of being overseas, and it wasn't it really wasn't popular there. In fact, everyone there would say, hey, do you like this place? And we're like, this is incredible. And they would tell us, don't tell anybody. Well, now if you go there, it's like, you know, it's turned into a Daytona or whatever. It's just another developed area. People are going north or south up and down the beach, but tremendous area. But the reason why we honeymooned over there is that we wanted to be in the good old U.S. of A. <laughs> we had spent a year overseas, right? A year overseas, and we didn't want any more weird food. I didn't want to have to eat something and go, I wonder what this mystery meat is. And then you start really looking around carefully in your neighborhood, and you, you start seeing that there are a dog or two are missing, and you're wondering, right? You wonder what's on the shish kebab. You wonder what's in the meat you're eating. I, we wanted no more weird food. We wanted no more weird smells. I cannot tell you how many times our team in particular, we would say, what's that smell? And it could be in your flat, it could be on the street, it could be in somebody else's flat, it could be anywhere. And the, and the funniest thing or the strangest thing about it is nobody really knew. They were just smells, different smells, weird smells. We wanted no more of that. We, no more, we wanted no more weird sights. In the culture that we had, it was common for men, women, children, old people, young people. It didn't matter who you are to spit on the sidewalk. So you had to be really flexible. You had to be really nimble because sometimes you needed the steps. Sometimes you needed the duck. I mean, it just happened. We didn't want any more weird sights. We didn't want any more weird languages. Not only was there Russian to deal with, but we had to deal with uh, Kazakh and Kyrgyz and Tartar. I mean, there was just too many. Sometimes I'd be talking to somebody, and I would have two translators. You translate from English to Russian to Kazakh or English and Russian to Tartar. Just crazy land. It was so hard just to have a conversation, I wanted no more weird languages. We wanted no more weird cultural differences. I mean, there's so many to talk about. I'm just going to talk about one. I mean, we're Western, and we come over there, and we're like, I come over there, and I want to pack my day with meeting with people. So the first time, I'll never forget, I set an appointment for 9 in the morning for someone. They didn't show up at 9, and they didn't show up at 10, and I didn't show up at 11. Uh, they showed up probably about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they thought they were on time, right? So if you make an appointment in this particular part of the world, it's an all-day affair, and that's what you do all day. We wanted, I didn't want any more of that. Didn't want none of that. Didn't even want, I didn't want to work hard to live. Do you want to work hard to live? Like, I didn't want to work hard to find food. We couldn't find food for the first four weeks. I lost 20 pounds in two weeks. I just didn't want to do that. And the places we had to eat at, eat at you know what we called them? Stand-up, throw-up places for obvious reasons. You ate, and then you were doing the other part. Didn't want any more of that. I didn't want to have to. We didn't want to have to. Where, where you traveled anywhere, it was an all-day event. Just to go somewhere took all day. I just didn't want that. And just to be clean. I mean, if you want to be clean in your life. The hot water came on from 4 to 4.30 every day. If you missed it, I mean, are you going to jump in the shower with cold water in a Russian winter? So I just said, okay, no showers. And then cleaning clothes, who wants to wash their own clothes in the sink, right? 
Okay, none of that stuff. We didn't want to work hard for anything on our honeymoon. The hardest thing we wanted to do was walk 50 yards from our room to the beach and ask someone, can I please have an adult beverage? That's as hard as we wanted to work. So we found a great place, but it was interesting. We soon learned two things very quickly on a honeymoon. Two things that we thought were hard about being overseas, we learned that nothing's easy about marriage either. And then here's the major thing I think I got away from it. You take yourself with you into your marriage. Have you ever thought about that? You really do. You take yourself with you into a marriage. You think you're going to leave, you know, like you, the best you, is always going to be the best you in a marriage. No, you take you with you into your marriage. So I learned this. You're wondering, man, Jeff, you learned a lot on your honeymoon. Yes, I did, because there is one epic, cosmic, like paradigmatic episode that happened on our honeymoon that I realized all these things. And it's still a conversation. We revisit this episode. Look at my wife. She's naughty. She knows what I'm going to say. We revisit this episode. Oh, yeah, the beach. Oh, oh yes, yeah, sweetie, the beach. Oh, you know, it is a seismic episode that defines most of what happens in our marital adjustments. Are you ready for it? It happened on the first day or the second. I don't know, but I guarantee you my wife knows which day it happened. We were at the beach, and all I did, this is all I did, this is all I did. I said, hey, honey, I'm going to go for a run. I'll see you in a little bit. Yeah, that's what I thought. Is there anything really wrong with that? Well, evidently, that was the end <laughs> of the world <laughs> because uh, there was no conversation, right? No conversation. No conversation like, hey, honey, this is what I've been taught. Hey, honey, uh, what do you want to do today? There was no discussion like, hey, honey, I'm thinking about going for a run. Um, what are you thinking the day should look like? Nothing like that. No discussion, no deliberation, uh, no conversation. There was no invitation like, hey, honey, I'm going for a run. Would you like to go for a run too? There was none of that. I just said, hey, I'm going for a run. I'll see you in a bit. That was the official moment that our honeymoon was over. <laughs> right there. And it, it, it might have been the first day or the second day. I guarantee you, right? Well, what we're getting now in this text, y'all, we are building. You've wondered, haven't you? I mean, this has been incredible. This is the ideal couple. This is the ideal, like, attraction, the ideal um, dating, if you call it dating, whatever they did back then, and the ideal wedding ceremony, right, honeymoon. And now what we're going to see is the honeymoon's over, y'all. We're in a whole different place. This is the place that most of you have been waiting for. Because most of you have been getting tired of seeing the ideal because when you see the ideal, it crushes you. And please hear me when I say this. It's meant to. So if you've squirmed over these past couple of weeks or didn't even want to come these past couple of weeks, that's the intent of the scripture. It's not my intent. It's the intent of the scripture. Why would the scripture do that? Like in a, in a story or a song. I, I mean, this is not like looking at the Ten Commandments, or is it? It's actually the Ten Commandments in an ideal couple. And its design is to crush you. Not as an end in itself, but to move you to the only ideal spouse 
who ever lived. And when that happens, that transition happens for you and me, we actually come alive. Please stand for the hearing of God's word. Killian, you are fresh off getting married, aren't you? Mm -hmm. It's actually the first week just passed after my honeymoon, so this is pretty relevant. Is your honeymoon over? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, sorry, Nate. Okay, go ahead. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment, how could I put it on? I had bathed my feet, how could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved, that you thus adjure us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves, beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, beloveds, and my beloved is mine. He grazes amongst the lilies. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Lord, we ask that you would shine on the page. Would you speak us back to life again? That the Holy Spirit, you inspired these words, you breathed these words, and now you move powerfully over the reality of these words. So we ask you to move. We ask you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the Song of Songs, this, this right where we're at, 5-5. Five, five. Look at 5-5 five, five if you have your device or your, your book open. This is the epicenter of the Song of Songs. This is the highest peak of the Song of Songs. Literally, 
you have 111 verses leading up to 5.1, and you have 111 verses leading from 5.1. It is the literary peak of the whole book. It is the thematic and theological peak of the whole book. It's the emotional peak of the whole book. It's the relational height of the whole book. In its own words, in its own imagery, this particular area is called the garden, paradise. And then something happens in 5.2. You just reached the garden, the paradise, and now something's happening in 5.2. We're actually descending from the peak. There's a relational fall that happens. There's trouble in paradise. <laughs> the honeymoon is over. If you're single and you're not dating, and if you're single and you are in an exclusive relationship, and if you are engaged and about to be married, I bet, I'm willing to put money on it, that you've thought this way. All right? Here are some of the thoughts you've thought. You've thought, if you, let's just say you're single and you're not dating. I bet you've thought things like, you know, when I marry... Uh, it's going to be different. When I marry, um, our marriage is going to be different than my parents' marriage. And then let's say you're dating, you're in an exclusive relationship, you're thinking things like, well, we're going to be different from other, cu other couples. Our love is different from other couples. <laughs> right? Our love is special. Or you thought, like those of you that have just gotten married or into a year of marriage, or however long it is, you thought, you know, the honeymoon's never going to end for us. We are going to be passionate for each other all the time. My man is going to be passionate for me. My woman's going to be passionate for me, right? There's going to be passion and romance forever, no conflict. And today's passage says, no, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. No, you won't have that kind of passion. You won't have that kind of love for your spouse forever. It just won't happen. In other words, your honeymoon's going to end sometime. Look at verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. This is fascinating. So she's not sleeping well. We're not told why she's not sleeping well. She could be, like, anxious about something. In other words, you know how you get at night, you get in your head, you start thinking about something, you become anxious about it. She's tossing, she's turning, or it could just be her hormones that are keeping her up at night. I don't know. I've learned all this stuff since I've been married. A sound, my beloved is knocking. In the ancient world, like kings and queens did not sleep in the same room, they slept in separate bedrooms. So that would make sense that the king has now left his bedroom because remember the, the controlling motif, the, the way that she sees him, she, she uses the image of King Solomon. So that would be well to keep that image going here. Or it could be that he's working late. But if he's working late, why would she lock the door if she knew he was coming home? So I think the image is still with the king and queen thing, separate bedrooms. My beloved is knocking, verse 2 again. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. I'm going to try that sometime. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with drops of the night. He's basically saying, hey, honey, let's make love. And she basically says, not tonight, honey, I have a headache. Well, that never happens today. She's like, I'm too tired. I just got cleaned up. I just, I don't want to, I don't want to. What's the point? Why do we have this in the text? Why after just glorious, the perfect couple, why this particular reality? Because we are descending from the peak. We are entering into the heart of the nature of a relational fall. What's the heart of all relational messes? What's the heart of descending from the peak 
of the honeymoon, honeymoon being over for those of you that are married? What's the essence of it? Here it is. You ready? Marriage brings together two selfish people. Marriage brings together two self-absorbed people, two people with different desires, two people with different wants and wirings, two people with different hopes and trusts and loves and expectations and agendas. And what happens when you have these things, you have these different desires, you have these different hopes, you have these different agendas, you have these different needs, you, you have these different trusts and loves. What happens when they're blocked? What happens when they're not met? What happens? Conflict. Conflict happens. When one person knocks and the other person doesn't answer, there's conflict. What happened? These two friends asked their friend, Brent, what happened to y'all's relationship? Why did your marriage shatter? Why did y'all get divorced? And Brent just simply answered, it wasn't just one thing, y'all. We both made mistakes. A culmination of criticism and lack of respect chipped away at the very foundation until there was nothing left for us to stand on. Just a side note here. When someone blocks us from what we want, when someone blocks us from something we desire, when someone blocks us from something we think we need, when someone blocks us, we criticize them. We um, disrespect them. Brent goes on to say, he says, this, this, this atmosphere, this this air of criticism and this air of disrespect just killed all our sexual desires for each other. He goes on to say, quote, I'm guessing, I'm guessing two, or three year, two or three times a year on a good year was happening. Even then I could tell she wasn't interested. It was more like she was doing me a favor, which wasn't a favor at all. It made me feel less loved after it was over, end quote. Sharon Jane, she's the Song of Songs scholar. She's also this marriage guru, this kind of relational person, you know, podcast, speaking, uh, engagements, books. She says there are three stages in a marriage they, that a marriage typically goes through. Stage number one is this, the honeymoon stage. She said that one study says the honeymoon stage lasts for two years, six months, and 25 days. So there you have it. Mine ended on the second day of our marriage. It's a season of romance and passion. There's little conflict. He's Prince Charming. She's Cinderella, right? It's no conflict. It's passionate romance. It's romance everywhere. Stage two, distraction and disillusionment stage. The couple gets distracted by life. It's just normal. You get distracted by life. You have you got to take care of the home. You got to raise the kids. There's, you're building careers. You're managing finances. You got a multiplicity of forces from the outside coming upon your relationship. Now what happens in the distraction phase if something doesn't click, if something doesn't change, in the distraction phase, if it stays the same, someone, one or both, are going to lead to disillusionment. In other words, one of them is going to say, is this what marriage is all about? Is this is what being best friends and lovers is all about? And what happens is Prince 
charming turns into a toad. And Cinderella becomes the evil stepsister. And then the next stage, the third stage, is dissolution. Or this is interesting. She says that it's a dissolution stage or it's a renewal stage. Isn't that fascinating? There's two things that could happen. Dissolution or renewal. 40% of couples dissolve their marriage. They give up. Divorce. Or they just emotionally disconnect. That's the whole roommate thing. But then she says, but others at this stage work on their relationship. Fight for their relationship. Experience relational renewal. This passage is all about that. This passage is about experiencing relational renewal. How in the world do we experience it? Here's the first answer from the text. How do we experience relational renewal? It's so obvious, it's just on the center of it. You can't even escape it. It's everywhere all over the text, right from the very beginning, but we overlook it. And here's the answer. It'll take your breath away. It'll be like, what? That can't be it. But then when you start thinking about it, you're like, oh my, how profound. Here's the answer. The first thing, the first answer to relational renewal is this. Do not walk away. Don't walk away. Ever. She eventually comes to her senses, right, in verse 5. Well, I, I rose to open to my beloved. She eventually comes to her senses. She wakes up that she was being selfish. She wakes up to whatever is going on. She realizes what's happening. She comes to her senses, which, by the way, is what repentance is. Repentance is not this huge work that you do. It's not this, I got to repent. I've got to beat my. You know what repentance is? It's just really, really simple, but it's so profound. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. Repentance is just honesty about who you are and what you did and do. That's it. In other words, repentance is, is reality. Reality is this is who you are. Yep. Reality is this is what you did. Bingo. That's why confession is involved, because it's just admitting what's happened. It's reality. It's, you have a choice in repentance. You have a choice of going into Disney World and pretending to be and do something that never really happened. Or you go into reality and you say, yep, um, you're going to be honest about it. That's what repentance is. So she comes to her senses, right? She comes to her senses, but he's gone. Look at verse 6. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. I'm, it's, it's, it's sad for me to say, um, but it's not like it's a surprise to anyone in our marriage. It might be a surprise to you, but I am the king of walking away. The king. Um, perhaps, generally speaking, that's a guy thing. I don't know because the dude walks away here. I have no idea. Uh, or not. doesn't have to be a gender thing. However, there's usually one in relational conflict. There's usually one in relational conflict who walks away. Relationally, emotionally, sexually. 
Or uh, the text says it this way, the one who knocks, and the person can knock for many reasons. Here it's, it's sexual intimacy. But that's not everything. We knock for respect. We knock for affirmation. We knock for security. We knock for intimacy. We knock to be best friends. We knock to have conversations and meaningful communication. We knock to connect with each other. Someone knocks. And the text is saying the one who knocks but is not answered is usually the one who walks away. How do we experience relational renewal? It's so simple, but it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Do not walk away, even though it hurts. Notice, she does not walk away. She's the warrior. She opens the door and he's not there. She could have said when that happened, fine, I don't care. Go, you jerk. Right? You know, that fine, fine. I think that's one of my favorite lines. Fine, period, fine, period. Is that one of mine? It is, yeah, it is one of mine. Do I have any other good ones that I think I could share with the guy? No, okay, stop. Instead, she comes to her senses. What have I done, she says, right? She says, what have I done? And, and she goes after him. She seeks him. That's the whole point of verses 6 through 8. You see all that goofy stuff, those images? It's just vivid images in 6 through 8 where the watchman beat her. You're like, is this literal? Is this? It's images. Because if she was beaten, she recovers real quick, and it doesn't, she has no trauma for the rest of her life, right? It's images. In other words, what she's saying is her heart took a beating. Her heart got beat. Her heart got bruised by her own selfishness. By her own self-absorption. If Paul was here, he'd say, by her own sin. Rob Flood, in an article called Five Communication Tools That Saved My Marriage, he writes, The course of a conflict is not determined by the person who initiates, but by the person who responds. She responds. How, Jeff? How does she respond? She responds with repentance. She faces the fact, honestly, that she's all beat up. Her heart's all beat up. That she's a sinner. And she's self-absorbed. And she responds with grace. Because she doesn't walk away. But you say... Jeff, that's absolutely impossible what we're seeing. I don't care if you're the man or the woman. It's absolutely impossible when you knock and someone doesn't answer to not walk away. It's absolutely impossible when you get your feelings hurt to not walk away. It's impossible when someone rejects you to not walk away. It's impossible when someone when someone's unloving towards you or someone disrespects you or someone slanders you or someone gossips about you, it's impossible to not walk away. Sharon Jane says it this way. She says, a wife, and you could, again, she's writing to women, so you could say a husband, so it could be go both ways. A wife or a husband has the power to bolster her husband's confidence or a husband has the power to bolster his wife's confidence 
or break her spirit or break his spirit with but a word. A husband can build up his wife with a word and a wife can tear her husband down with a word. Husbands and wives both break each other's spirits with their words and their actions. It's impossible to not walk away when you're relationally hurt. And the answer is, yeah, it is. Absolutely impossible. Utterly, utterly impossible. So how do you do it? How do you do the impossible? And there's only one answer that the Bible gives. There's only one answer. There's only one answer that the Bible gives. There's only one answer. There's how many answers? One. Are you ready for it? Because if you get any other answer, somebody tries to give you another answer, it's not the, it's not the answer. It actually will turn into a prison. There's only one answer that will enable you, reach you, change you, help you, give supernatural power to not walk away. And here it is. By the Holy Spirit making Jesus' saving work real to your heart. By the Holy Spirit taking Jesus and his salvation and making it clear to your mind and making it real to your heart is the only way you won't walk away. The only way. Prove it, Jeff. Okay? On the cross, Jesus took all your walking away from God. On the cross, Jesus took all your walking away from your meaningful relationships. On the cross, Jesus took all your relational failures, all your relational mess, all your relational brokenness. If Paul was here, he'd say, he took all your sin. And he stayed. How many people came up to him, the religious leaders came up to him and said, dude, if you're such a big deal, walk off that cross. Walk away from that cross. And he said, no. I'm staying right here. I'm not walking away. When that gets clear to your mind and gets real to your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will stay. You won't walk away. And it's the only power that will enable you to do that. How do we experience relational renewal? First answer is it's so surfacey, right? but so profound. Do not walk away. The other two answers are going to come quickly. I want you to see the others. Do you know the others come back? I feel like it's, you know, a, another episode of Lost or something, some new series, the others, the, whatever those people are. 
The others speak twice. Each time they speak, they ask a question, and the question is meant to generate the next aspect of relational renewal, okay? Now, remember, this is what's going to happen. Some of you are going to be like, well, this is all the woman's. This, this is, we're looking at the woman the whole time. Yep. Well, why are we looking at the woman the whole time? It's like, what does she do relationally to seek relational renewal? That's what's happening here. Well, the answer is because that's what the text is doing. And then later on in the book, it's going to look at the man. And so what we could say, well, then the man, you know, man, you just kind of, oh, yeah, right? No, because it's still you. Because these are relationships. This is diagnosing what love looks like, right? And so that means children. That means if you're in uh, a church community, how we relate to each other. How do we experience relational renewal in a community? Uh, how you experience it among siblings. How you experience it in family. Not just marriage. So it's, it's broader than that. The implications are bigger than that. But the specific application here is the wife, okay? Okay, so here's what's happening. Here's what she does. He asks, she, the others ask a question, and that's where you get that big old long list of like, it's almost like what he did last week, which we're good to be through that, aren't we? And now we're at this week, right? But here's what happens. First, relational renewal comes about through the wife's affirmation. Do you see that? The wife's admiration and the wife's encouragement. In other words, her good words to him. Remember Proverbs? Proverbs says it this way. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. A good word. Words, good words having power on us shouldn't surprise us. God spoke this world into being. He spoke Adam and Eve into being in the very DNA, in the hidden substance of whatever it means to be a human being, the stuff you can't dissect, the stuff you can't visibly see, whatever it is to be human, it means that, that you're a word person. That flowing through your blood is that you are word made. And so when we come along, we have the ability to actually speak people back to life again because that's how you are wired. Because in the beginning was the Word. So that's what's going on in 10 through 16. She's basically saying, I'm not going to go through that whole list because who wants to go through that whole list? She's basically saying, honey, you are my hero. Paul, he looks at the images there. He sees that she's saying, you are my hero, and this is what he does in Ephesians. He turns to wives and he says, you know what that means? Wives, respect your husbands. Respect is admiring. Respect is affirming. Respect is justifying. It's Paul saying, Wives, make your husband your hero. Again, we're looking through the lens of the wife. We're going to look through the lens of the husbands later. However, I think it's safe to say this, don't you? Um, husbands, respecting your wife makes her feel loved. Husbands, 
Not respecting your wife makes her feel unloved. So it works both ways. I think you could say that to kids too. Parents, respecting your children makes them feel loved. Disrespecting your children makes them feel unloved. Maybe they're so defensive because we're so disrespectful. Teachers, coaches, just a, just a thought. How do we experience relational renewal? First, do not walk away. Give good words to each other, right? Speak each other back to life again. Give hero words to each other. Give respectful words to each other. Give praise words, affirming words, admiring words to each other. Watch. Watch the other person come back to life. The last is the last question. It happens in 6-1. This is the last question. I'm going to give you the answer. Now let's look at it this way. Okay, so the, this question is what? Where, where has your beloved gone? Right? Oh, most beautiful woman, where has he gone? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. They find each other at a certain place. They find each other at a specific location. In other words, the others ask, where has your beloved gone, 6-1? The answer from 2-3 is she says, nowhere. He's with me. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's with me. But no, what are you talking about? He's gone. He went. So how do they have relational renewal? How do they experience relational renewal? The final answer is when you finally get deep in your bones, they haven't gone anywhere. They're with you because you're already one. That's her answer. That's what the others are trying to press to her. They're pressing into her. They're saying to her, don't forget that God made you best friends and lovers. That's what's happened. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Best friends and lovers. Don't forget that he just mingled you. Don't forget the magic of covenant. He just bound you together in love. And what began to happen is she began to remember, where is he? He isn't anywhere. He's with me. We're one. We're one flesh. And that's why it ends with mingled bodies. That's why she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He's always been here because we're always one. Because it's not something we did, it's something God did. It can't be broken. And relational renewal, marital renewal, comes about ultimately when two people realize God made you one. God made you best friends and lovers. So get on with it. They are one. That's where they find each other. Where are you? <laughs> and she finally realizes he's right here with me.